So I was in Manhattan yesterday, had a very good time, my son. But some observations. So number one is you see tremendous amounts of wealth and you see tremendous amounts of poverty in the same place. You see the beautiful buildings, you see people who are very well dressed, you see very expensive motor cars, and then you see people sleeping on the benches. And this is the middle of the day. I mean, these guys are sleeping on the bench in the middle of the day. What are they doing at night? I don't know what they're doing at night. So, that's one observation which I had, which is the tremendous dichotomy in society between the haves and the have-nots. Now, also, I mean, New York City is a very, very generous city. People don't realize how generous it is. And that's why the homeless from all over the country flock to New York. Because in New York, they have the social service programs. They're spending millions and millions of dollars. There's only one problem. The problem is that they cannot take people off the streets forcibly. No. It's very, very fascinating. You cannot remove the person from the park bench. Mm-hmm. You can't take them. Because of the laws of this country, you can't just take a guy from the park bench and put him in the van. Maybe you can, and very, very cold, they have laws. If it's very, very yeah, cold, cold outside, they, they can, can force it. someone inside. Right. But they're willing to even rent a room in a hotel for these guys. Wow. You know that? That's how much money they spend on these programs. But the problem is, it's not a problem of money. It's a problem of mental health. Mm-hmm. There's a big problem in the inner cities of mental health. But it's not just a problem in the inner cities. It's a problem because they're coming from all over the country. It's a countrywide problem of mental health issues. A lot of these people are vets. And they go through the wars and they're totally zombies. Because they've seen so much garbage in their lives. So there's a mental health issue over here in the country which the country is not addressing. There's also a drug problem, which is causing a lot of the issues. And there's other issues. You see the breakdown in society. It's breaking down from the bottom up. Yes. When I was growing up, there were mental hospitals, but they closed them down. So I think that, I think that also has... 100%. To They're not, we're not addressing the problem of mental health. It's a big problem of mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's not a problem which is getting smaller. It's getting bigger. As society gets wealthier, people have more mental health issues. It's very, very strange. <coughs> very, very strange. So the, the government is not devoting the resources to address the problem of mental health. That's one observation. second observation is they're actually, they have a, the New, York, New York City is trying to raise money to sponsor a bench. Have you heard of that? To sponsor a bench. A, See, if you, a sponsor a bench in the park or po- a bench on the streets. Uh-huh. If you want to sponsor a bench, by the way, past the bench, it's a very interesting bench. It says over there, dedicated to my husband Harvey. <laughs> who loved mustard and who said I was always right. <laughs> that was the bench. That's the bench is one. dedicated to my husband Harvey who loved mustard and who said I was always right. So. Uh, no, I don't want to say it's Jewish. It's not, it's not a very good thing to say. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> so... So if you want to sponsor a bench, it's going to cost you $10,000. And it's only for 10 years. After 10 years, they'll take your name off and and they'll put it someone else's. So it's a very nice idea. And I think Ashul will be happy to do the same thing. (laughs) $10,000 for it. But these benches are being used by people who are homeless. So in a sense, you're giving them a bed. You're giving people a bed to sleep on. So it's a very nice idea. Also passed by what's called Riverside Park. It's gorgeous. Really gorgeous. It faces the Hudson River. And uh, you see people over there working in the garden. 
Right. And those people are volunteers. They're all volunteers. It's amazing that people volunteer. A lot of wealthy people have a lot of time, but they do volunteer their time to make it a beautiful place. So it's a very nice program. You see people volunteering their time to help the ground look nice for other people. It's very, I think that's a very good mitzvah for people to do. You're doing ches, you're doing kindness to make the ground grow and, and uh, beautiful flowers and everything for people to see. Okay. So you have the benches and you have the, the grass and you have the flowers. It's very, very beautiful. But then you have the poverty and you have the mental health issues on the other side. So what's interesting is that this is our lives. Our lives are a dichotomy of the good in our lives and the not so good in the life. Everyone has good and everyone has not so good. And we do that. We see this in the mitzvah of it's not a mitzvah, it's a minhag. A custom on Rosh Hashanah, we have different things on the table. On Rosh Hashanah, we have very different things on the table. On the one side, we have the apple, okay. right? And the honey, which is interesting because it's not mentioned in the Talmud. The Talmud does not talk about apples and honey. It's interesting. It's really an Ashkenazi idea which was brought in. Everyone today is doing it. Even Sephardim, we do it. We do it apple and sugar. We don't use honey, we use sugar. And the reason why we use sugar instead of honey is because honey reminds us of bees, and bees actually sting people. Oh. And the Talmud says, Lo velo I don't want your sting and I don't want your honey. So we don't want your honey and you don't want your sting. So we use sugar instead, which I don't know, today that's debatable as well, because sugar leads to cavities and cavities right. leads to diet. So maybe it's a dentist. Someone dentist had an idea to have sugar on the table. Okay, it doesn't matter. But the idea is to have a very sweet, happy new year. But one of the things we put on the table is, which is mentioned in the Talmud, is rimon. Actually, it's not mentioned in the Talmud right. either. It's interesting. It's not in the Talmud either. Pomegranates. Mm -hmm. Why would we put a pomegranate on the table? You know, it's interesting because the price of pomegranates, if you looked at it, the price of pomegranates shoots up before Rosh Hashanah. Of course. Because they know Jews are looking for pomegranates, so before that, it's, you know, dirt cheap. It's like you buy an etrog for a Sukkot. That etrog is really a lemon. It's not even a lemon. It's worse than a lemon, and it costs more than, a, I don't know, 50, 50 lemons. Right. It's a very expensive lemon. And uh, when they hear Jews want it, the price goes up. Even a lula branch. Can you imagine? You're selling a branch of a tree. How much is it worth? Peanuts. And all of a sudden, it's worth $50. It right. doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Okay. But we pay for mitzvah. Everyone knows we pay to do a mitzvah. We're willing to do a mitzvah. Anyway, so why have pomegranates on the table? And the answer is, it's based on a beautiful idea in Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs. And that is, one of the verses in Song of Songs, Shlomo Melech, King Solomon wrote Song of Songs. He wrote actually three books. Song of Songs, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, which is Kohelet. Three books of wisdom. This man was very brilliant. And Song of Songs is a very, very romantic and, in a sense, it's a, it's a, it's a love story. It's a love story between a man and a woman, but really, it's deeper than that. Rabbi Kiva says, it is a love story between man and God. So it's a, it's a very important parable. Love story. Over there it talks about, it has a verse over there, a very strange verse, it says, Like a flake of pomegranates is rakatech. What's rakatech? So there was a famous rabbi who was a Baal Teshuvah. His name was Resh Lakish. It's a beautiful story how he became a Baal Teshuvah. It says he was walking by the banks of the river and he was a bandit. This guy was the head of the bandits. This head of the bandits, very strong, powerful, lawless, lawless. Reish Lakish. He's walking by the sides of the banks of the river and he sees what he thinks is a beautiful woman bathing in the river. Wow, beautiful woman in the river. Well, he saw it from behind. 
He says, I'm going to go to the other side and see what she looks like. Wow, back, beautiful, white skin, gorgeous. Ooh. <laughs> so he jumps over the river. And he gets to the front, he sees. It's like today, you don't know who it is from the behind. Long, <laughs> long hair, pants, you don't know who it is. You walk in the front, you see, long beard. It's a rabbi in the river. And the rabbi says, oh God, did you jump over that river? I can't believe you jumped over the river. So why did you jump over the river? So I thought you were a beautiful woman, but I see you're not. I'm going to jump right back. <laughs> I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you're looking for beauty, come and see my sister. Only on one condition. That you, you accept upon yourself to learn Torah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You want beauty? I'll give you beauty. My, my sister is gorgeous. And if you dedicate your life to learning Torah with your strength, you'll be able to be someone great. So Rachel Lakish, I don't know, it's very strange to have an answer on the spot. He says, if she's gorgeous like you, yes, I'll do it. But one second, I've got to finish my affairs. I've got to complete my affairs. So the Gemara says he tried to jump back and he fell into the river. So the Gemara says, why? Because he accepted upon himself the burden, the yoke of God. He couldn't jump back. In other words, the yoke of God already weakens a person. It's very hard. People don't realize. Once a person accepts upon themselves the burden of the mitzvot, it's like a burden. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, it's like a burden. On the other hand, we have to do it with joy. It's very important to do mitzvot with joy, as we said in yesterday's parasha. One of the curses is because you did not serve God with simcha and tuv levav, and a good heart. You've got to do it with joy and a good heart, and not kvetch. You know when he talks about kvetch? Don't complain. A person always complains, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard. Don't complain, because you've got to do it with joy. A person has to do mitzvot with joy. It's very, very important to do mitzvot with joy. So Resh Lakish accepted upon himself and he started learning Torah. He became one of the greatest rabbis we had. And he says about this verse in Song of Songs, like a flake of pomegranates, he says, Rakatech are rek, from the word rek, which means empty. The empty ones among you are like flakes of pomegranates. The emptiest Jew is not empty. Emptiest Jew is full of mitzvot like a pomegranate. So a person's got to know, number one is, you think, I don't have anything to offer God. What do I have to offer God? But think about all the good things you've done in your life. And count the good things you've done in, in your life. It's very interesting. In yesterday's parasha, there was a thing called vidui masrot. Now, normally you say vidui, what is vidui? Admitting guilt. Admitting all the bad things I've done. Over here, it's interesting. There's vidui masrot, which is saying all the good things I've done. I've separated your tithes. I've listened to your commandments. I've done everything you've said. Hashem. So that's a positive kind of vidui. It's interesting. No one thinks about the positive kind of vidui. Before a person thinks about the negatives in their lives, count the positives. Before a person can work on themselves, they have to think about the good things first and then think about the bad things. Why? Because otherwise the person is demolished. Your self-esteem is gone. So a person's self-esteem, how do you build your self-esteem? You have to say, number one, I've done good thing, I've done this, I've helped this person, I helped this person, I helped this person, and now I can work on things I need to improve. But it's very important to note there's two parts to our lives. There's the good part and there's the bad part. So that's why on Rosh Hashanah we remember the good. What do we remember? We have the, we have the pomegranates. To tell Hashem, listen, every single Jew is full of mitzvot like pomegranates. There's no such thing as a person. Why? Because there's 365 negative mitzvot. And just by sleeping, you're filling all these negative mitzvot. There's 365 negatives, which means don't rob the bank. Don't steal, don't kill, don't do this. And just by not doing just by sitting over here, we're not doing them. We're doing mitzvot just by sitting down. It's amazing. So let's go back to our topic today. And our topic is prayer. And this is a true story from the Talmud. The Talmud says, 
that there was a, a righteous person by the side of the highway praying to God. Can you imagine now? Can you imagine today a person's driving somewhere and they see the time? Uh oh, it's getting dark. I gotta pray Mircha. It's Mircha time. I gotta get out of my car and stand up and pray. Well, I would say, park your car to the side. If there's no one around, stand up and pray. But if it's a dangerous place, don't stand up and pray. Whatever you do, sit inside your car and pray sitting down. You don't want to get out in the middle of nowhere and pray. But this guy was standing by the side of the road, praying. And what happens is, a very, very important Roman officer passes by. Now, when you see a Roman officer, you've got to say, Yes, sir! Hi, sir! Good, sir! Good morning, sir! If you don't address the Roman officer, you're going to be in trouble. So he's praying... And his eyes closed, praying with concentration to God. And he uttered each word with sweetness and fervor, concentrating every thought. And suddenly he heard footsteps. A stranger was approaching. But the guy, listen, you're in the middle of Shimon Estra. You're not allowed to talk to anyone. You focus on your prayers and you don't open, open your eyes. So Roman is passing by. He's waiting for this Jew to respond. And the Jew ignores him completely. He said, God, he said, I'm going to kill this guy. He is going to be my first sacrifice today. I'm going to kill him. But I'm going to wait to see what he has to say. Why is he ignoring me so much? Why is he ignoring me? So can you imagine? Well, he's ignoring him. After a few minutes pass, the Jew goes back three steps, looks at the officer. officer. I'm so sorry. Good morning, officer. How are you doing, officer? The officer says, you, I'm going to, you're going to be my first sacrifice today. He said, why didn't you see me? Why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you greet me? So the man said, please, please, let me pacify you. Can you imagine that you are busy with something and you're talking to the king? You are talking to a king and someone important passes by. Would you stop your conversation with the king to talk to this important person? Or would you continue talking to the king? The officer said, well, if I'm talking to the king, I better not stop talking to the king. I'm going to get in trouble if I stop talking to the king. So therefore, I'm not going to stop. Even though someone else is passing by, I'm not going to, I'm going to ignore them and talk to the king. But he said, please, I was talking to the king of kings. I was talking to God, the king of kings. And I'm sorry, but I was talking to God. So I, I ignored you for a few minutes until I saw you. So the officer says, that's a good excuse. I like your excuse. But this story tells us a very important concept that when we are praying to God, we are standing before the king. Now, it's very, very interesting because it's very hard to insert that into our heads because our minds are so this-world-based that we are so influenced by what we can see and what we feel and what we touch. It's very hard to think out of the box. You know, Judaism requires a person to think out of the box. How? How do I think out of the box? Well, think that a mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah, you're creating angels. Oh, that's... How do I think about that? When you do a mitzvah, you are getting trillions of dollars of reward, but in spiritual currency. But how do I think that? It's very hard for us to relate to these concepts, because they're spiritual concepts which we can't see, we can't feel, we can't touch. We don't see the next world. Well, you know there's a next world, but we don't see it. You know, a guy came to me this morning, he's collecting money. He seems to be a very religious guy. He has a big hat and this and that. And he, and he said something which hit me. And I said, you better watch it. Because he says, if you give me less money, you're going to hit me in my emuna, in my faith. I said, what? In my talking? what? In my faith. My faith is going to be damaged by your lack of giving. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? 
what are you saying? You mean... Make it guilty. Exactly. So I said, what are you talking about? It's a very silly thing to say. How can you say such a thing? Your lack of faith, your, your faith in God is dependent on what other people do. So that's a deficiency of faith. So he changed his mind quickly. Very cha- quickly changed his mind. He knew he's, he's trying to market something. He's trying to sell. He's trying to get money, whatever it is. But it's the wrong thing to say because your faith should not be dependent. In fact, a person's faith, a person's got to work on their faith and make sure their faith is solid. A person's got to make their faith as solid as possible. Today, the rabbis compare this world to uh, hanging by a rope. A person's faith is like a rope. And the Yetzirah is trying to push the rope and, sk- and shake the rope till the guy will fall off. A lot of people lose their faith, but it's, faith is not dependent on other things. A person's faith should be independent of everything. Listen, God is there whether you like it or not. God is there whether you care or not. God is there whether you believe or not. It doesn't make a difference. God is there. So how can it affect a person's faith? God is there. A person's got to know there's a God. Without, without other people, other people interfering, not interfering. That's a very low level in terms of saying, my faith is shaken by what people do. It's not. That's people. God didn't do this. How can people affect your faith in God? Anyway, so it's very important to realize, and that's very hard to actually process for a person that I'm standing in front of God when I pray. But you're not really standing. You can pray in any format. The prayer for the Torah, we said a person can pray whatever they want. A person can pray whenever they want. A person can pray in whatever language they know. A person can pray. The main thing is to pray, to talk to God, to communicate with God. God wants to hear from us. So that is a very important point that we forget, is to imagine that we're standing in front of the king. We are thinking and we're standing in front of, not just the king, the king of kings. You know, in fact, one of the things we do on Rosh Hashanah, people don't really realize, that's the main facet of Rosh Hashanah. The main facet of Rosh Hashanah is Melech. The word Melech, king. We add in our prayers, HaMelech, the king, the king, the king. That we are coronation. It's the coronation of God. Rosh Hashanah is the coronation of God. Why do you blow the shofar? So one of the reasons is because at a king's coronation, you blow the trumpets. So it's the coronation of God, which means we are recognizing God as the king of the world. This is the, this is the main part of Rosh Hashanah that no one even talks about. The main facet of Rosh Hashanah that we have in, in the Rosh Hashanah prayers, there are nine blessings in the Shemona Esrei. There are nine blessings. Normally, on a daily basis, there are 90 blessings in the Shemona Esrei. Shemona Esrei really means 18. Because eventually, when they started the concept, Ezra HaSofer, you talked about last year, last week, right? Mm-hmm. Who wrote the prayer book? Ezra HaSofer, Ezra the scribe. He wrote 18 prayers, which we said every day in the Shemona Esrei. That's why it's called Shemona Esrei. Shemona means eight, 18. One prayer was added later on, so you have 19. We still call it 18 because it's 18, but we call it, it's, today it's 19. It's like a Jewish thing, right? It's 18 prayers. No, no, it's 19. But we call, why do you call it 18? It's a tradition. <laughs> it's a tradition to call it 18, so we, call, we leave it as a tradition. But really, the 19 prayers. On Shabbat, we only pray. Come on, guys. Seven. 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 Why seven? The rabbis had mercy on us. <laughs> So you know what? They had mercy on us. They say, you know what? It takes too long. Go home and enjoy. But you know what? It didn't work. Because <laughs> there's seven prayers in the Shemona Esrei. You're not allowed to pray for things you don't have on Shabbat. It's a very interesting concept. Psychological concept. On Shabbat, you're meant to think you have everything. Imagine one day a week. Six days a week, we're struggling and, and running and, and trying to make some money and going here and going there and, and working hard. 
On the seventh day, we don't work. Why don't we work? Hashem rested. Huh? Hashem rested. Do you think Hashem needs to rest? No. <laughs> he was teaching us a lesson. If I, who don't need to rest, rest, how much more so you, who need to rest, need to rest? That's the Sefer HaChinuch. He says, why does Hashem have to rest? He didn't rest. Oh, he doesn't rest because he doesn't do anything anyway. Well, how do you create the world? He said, let there be this, let there be that. Obviously, he doesn't even mean that. He just willed it to exist. Hashem wills the world to exist. Is that work? No, it's not work. So why, do you, why does it say he rested? To teach us that we have to rest. Right. When a Jew rests on Shabbat, we are proving the point. God created the world. God created the world and he rested. It's an amazing concept. And when people ask you, why do you need the Sabbath day off? And the answer is, you've got to tell them the reason. It's because God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day and that's why I am resting as well because I believe in that. I believe in the six-day concept that God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. It's interesting. We have to tell people. That's, that's how we advertise God in the world. That's how Jews advertise the world. People know Jews take... Why do you take Sabbath off? You know, it's interesting. I was walking... This is like 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Um... I had to go to Manhattan for some reason. I stayed over there Shabbat. And I'm walking down the street, and this big black guy comes to me. Wow, he's, I was terrified. <laughs> he says, oh, you're Jewish. Ah, don't have any money on you, right? <laughs> yes, it's your Sabbath, right? I remember. Isn't it fantastic? That was great. He knew it. He knew it. They know it. They know it. If you're a Jew and you're walking in the street on the Shabbat, you know, it's interesting. Also, the, yesterday, there was a doorman in the building. My, my son, I, I stayed with my son. There's a doorman in the building, and he's... They know when a Jew comes in, they push the elevator switch. Uh-huh. So he says, hmm? I said, no, we're walking. Oh, I respect you. Imagine there's two kinds of Jews. They know there's two kinds of Jews. There's a Jew who takes the shortcuts, there's a Jew who takes the long cuts. Right. <laughs> there's two paths in life. This is a beautiful story. The Talmud says, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Shua ben Hanania. And it says he was such a good, logical brain. He could outfox anyone in an argument. You could never win an argument against him. But there's three st- uh, cases where someone else beat him in an argument. So the story is, I'm just telling you one story. One story is, he's walking down the street, and he gets to a fork in the road. Now, in those days, there's no street signs. You know, in Highland Park, there's no street signs over there. So now I need to go to this town. I don't know how to get there. There's a fork in the street. Which way am I going to go? He sees a little Jewish kid standing over there. He says, kid, he says, tell me, he says, how do I get to this town? And the kid says, this is the long and short road, and this is the short and long road. <laughs> this kid is messed up completely. Long and short road, short and long road. He says, listen, he said short and long, but let me go to short and long, let's see what's going on. Sure, he said short, so he goes. He walks down the street, and sure enough, he gets to the town, but there's a big gap in the road, he can't cross it. They're doing road works, like just recently. Mm-hmm. He cannot cross the road. So he goes back. He says, kid, you told me it's a short road. He says, I said, it's short, but it's long. It's short for the birds, but for you, it's long. <laughs> so he said, okay, I'll go the other path. So he goes a long road, round and round and round, but eventually he gets there. He says, well, it's a long road, but it's short because I got there. So the Benish Chai comes along and he gives an explanation, a beautiful explanation. He said, in life, there are two paths. There's a short and long road, and there's a long and short road. A person can take all the shortcuts in their life, but they've got to know when they get to heaven, it's going to be a very long road. They won't get to their destination. And the other path is a very sh- long, but it's short. Eventually, you'll get to your destination. So it's a very beautiful parable of life in this world. People don't realize. People who take shortcuts, you know where they end up? Usually in jail. Take very shortcuts. 
But you know what? Eventually they're going to pay for it. And the guys who work hard and honest, eventually they get to their destination. So that's the path that we have to choose. It's not getting you guys to press the elevator for us on Shabbat. Obviously, if you can't walk, you can't walk. But if you can walk, you should push yourself. It's quite a long climb up the steps, that was. But it's worth it, you know. There's five floors, five floors. One's so bad. Good workout. We had a good workout yesterday. <laughs> so you're not allowed to work at Shabbat. But walking is not work. That's right. Climbing your steps is not work. It's interesting. What is work? Work is creative work. It's creating something which wasn't there before. The only exception to the rule is carrying with no air roof. And that's why with an air it's okay. It's because why? Because it says carrying is like a lower level of work. Why? Because you can't do things without carrying. Normally you build something, you want to move it. You create something, you want to move it. So therefore carrying became part of the work system. It's the only kind of work which is forbidden on Shabbat, which is not really creative. Every other thing is creative. So when Jews talk about not working on Shabbat, it's not talking about walking, it's not, about ca- it's not talking about climbing steps. It's not about moving your sofa inside your building. Right. If you need it. Move your furniture it's, it's talking about <laughs> creating, switching a light switch. You're creating. What's the Rabbi, switching on a light is work? Well, it depends what you mean by work. We're not talking about work, work. We're talking about creative work. It doesn't say Avodah, it says Melacha. Melacha is creative work. So it's interesting. So the shortcuts in life, there's long cuts in life. We have to take the long and short road. It's, Judaism is a long road, but it's a short road. Why? You're definitely going to get there. It's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a book. It's called The Path of the Just. Moshe Chaim Luzato wrote it. It's a very, very good book. You can see it. You can download it for free today. Everything's free today. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to buy it. You can just... Look it up on the web, and click on it, and you can download the whole book for free. Amazing. Path of the just. So, Judaism is the path, well-trodden path. We have a path to God. But a person can imagine that there's a God. A person can know there's a God with all their heart, but I believe God. You know, there's a beautiful story. It's a great story. It says there was a guy, this kid. He must be 19 years old. He's backpacking through Europe. Jewish kid. Not much religion, but he's backing through Europe, and then they tell him, you're Jewish, right? So when do you go to Israel? So Israel? Never thought about going to Israel. Imagine he's in Europe. He's wandering the world. He's, he's in Europe, backpacking through Europe. In the good old days, you can hitchhike. You remember those days? You could, mm-hmm. Maybe you, you don't remember. I remember those days. You can hitchhike yeah. through Europe. Nothing happens. You go through Europe, and he's hitchhiking over there. And every kid he says, you're Jewish? Why did you go to Israel? It's right across the river, across the river pond over here. <laughs> so he says, okay, let me go. Might as well go to Israel. So he hitchhikes, and he gets to the port, and he gets a bus or whatever, train, whatever it is, and he goes to Israel. He ends up in Israel, and he goes, where can I stay? Kibbutz. Okay, so he gets a kibbutz near Haifa, and uh, he, it's a totally re- irreligious, secular kibbutz, and the time is coming, now it's Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. He says, what's going to happen in Yom Kippur? Nothing. What do you mean? There's no synagogue? No, we work, it's a regular day. Yom Kippur is a regular day. He said, no, no, no. Even I know, Yom Kippur, you go to Shul. <laughs> Even I know that. So he goes to Yerushalayim, he goes to Jerusalem. And he goes to the Kotel. This is the day before Yom Kippur. And uh, he says, God, he says, really, God, he says, if you exist, give me a sign. He says, I don't know if you exist, Hashem. But if you exist, God, give me a sign. And straight away, he gets a knock on his back. <laughs> he looks around. He sees a short little guy over there. He says, please, he says, would you like to come to my house to have a meal before the fast? Imagine. That was a sign. So he got a sign straight away. Imagine, he got a sign. And this gentleman, I can't remember his name, he's very famous because he always invites people at the Kotel Jeff to his house. Seidel. What's his name? Jeff Seidel. Jeff Seidel. Very oh. Jeff Seidel is a very short guy, no beard. 
He's not, doesn't look intimidating, doesn't look like a rabbi, doesn't look like anything. He always goes around inviting people, backpackers especially, to his house for a meal. And he, the guy ended up at his house for a meal, ended up staying in Yerushalayim for, I don't know, five years at least, going to yeshivas, <laughs> studying over there. And it's a very funny story, but it uh, just shows we can be God's messengers. All of us can be God's messengers. Sometimes people are waiting for a sign from God. And if you help them, they say, wow, that was a sign from God. We can be God's messengers. I just read a story yesterday. It's a true story of a guy who opened a school in Israel. It's a yeshiva in Israel. He opened a school. And the time came to pay wages. He didn't have any money at all. He had no money. Right? You heard that story before? Exactly. All the schools like that. They all operate on this budget. They have no budget, really. And what happens? A guy comes to the office that day with a big, long ponytail, gives a big envelope over there. He says, yeah, I made a donation to the yeshiva. They open up the packet. It's like 18,000 shekels, not dollars. I wish it was dollars, but it's that, it's that shekels. Okay. 18,000 shekels. It's a lot of money in Israel. 18,000 shekels. So the secretary over there says, please tell me. He says, what's your name? So I can write you a receipt. He says, just write it for Eliyahu Navi. Elijah the prophet. <laughs> Imagine. So who knows? Was he really Elijah the prophet? Mm. We don't know who he was. No one knows who he was. He just walked in and gave money before the, you know, it's amazing stories. You hear stories like this, that sometimes you can be Elijah the prophet. If the guy really needs help, and he's turning around to God, God, help me, please. And the guy helps him, and just walks away. That Is that a true story? Yes, 100% true. 100% true. Many miracles kept this yeshiva going, until eventually he got, they got uh, state approval. Because you need state approval. You can't, you can't open a school without the approval of the, of the government. government. So the government has to give approval. And how he got the approval was amazing as well. Yeah, it's an amazing story. So anyway, so let's go back to our topic about prayer. So prayer is, so a person says, you know what, okay, I've got to pray. But why can't I just pray in my head? You know, why can't people, everyone thinks the same thing. Why can't, Rabbi, why do I have to say words? Why can't, God knows, God can read my brain. Can God read your brain? Absolutely. 100%. God knows what's in. We say in our prayers, God sees what's in your kidneys and your heart. What does that mean? I don't know. It means that God can read your mind, basically. So if God can read my mind, why do I need to have to articulate words? That's a big question. Why do I need to articulate what is in my mind? And the answer is, it's not for God, it's for you. You need to articulate. You need to think what you really need. What is your relationship with God? How do you phrase it? Because our minds are jumble. I don't know about your mind. People's minds are jumbles. One day you think it is. Well, think, think that. Our minds, our thoughts are keeping on going. They're flashing in front of us. They're like, Phew. it's amazing. That's why we can't meditate. It's a gift to meditate. You have to learn how to clear the clutter of the mind. Um, you know, just like our houses. It's called clearing clutter. What's it? There's, a, there's a company. What do they do? No. What do they do? They come in and they clear all the clutter. They take all your, all your garbage away. Okay. And they advertise. Gotcha. It's yeah. like... Yeah, they advertise you're going to feel better after all your junk's gone. Right. <laughs> so can you imagine decluttering our minds? That is meditation. Our minds are full of this thought, that thought, that thought. So now, how do you pray to God when your thoughts are full of different things? And the answer is we have to articulate it. So the heart calls out a prayer. So a person asks a question, why do I need words? Is it enough to have a prayer in one's heart? And the answer is, well, the prayers are only in thoughts. They're unclear and they're incomplete. A person's thoughts are not clear. I want this, I want this, I want this, all these thoughts, this thoughts. You have to make a list. You have to, it's better even to write it down. Now people write down, they have lists of sick people they pray for. 
unless they know it by heart, you have to write them down. So it's very important to have a list of things I need. And before Rosh Hashanah, this is a person's going to write a list. It's a very good idea to write a list for yourself before Rosh Hashanah. These are things I want from God in the coming year. These are things I want to change in my life. These are things I need to give God's help to change. These are things which I think we have to give a reason. It's not just enough to ask for things. God, give me a million dollars. You know, I was just, I was, last week I was by a very wealthy person. He's, he's our main supporter of the shul. And I go to him, he says, if you write me exactly what you want and why you want it, I'll help you. He says, not just give me this. You have to go and say, why do you need it? I'll give me a million dollars. What for? God will say, what do you need it for? Give me a good reason why you need it. So a person's going to write down, I need it for to pay edu- yeshiva education. I need it for, to do misfort. I need to buy a seat in the shul for, for Rosh Hashanah. I need, I need it for, for good purposes. Hashem says, okay, you got it. Anytime. You got it. Everyone has to write a list because prayers without a list, in your head at least, or in your, you have to say it out. Why? Because your mind is full of jumble. It's very important to articulate. It's very important to know what's going on. So the words of the lips translate the ideas and desires into the physical realm and expresses one's thoughts. Yes? So articulating could mean whispering as long as you're saying the words. Number one is when you pray with a, in community, you, have to, you can't say it aloud. No one, no one should know what you're asking for. Only God. It's between you and God. There is no intermediaries in Jewish prayer. There are no intermediaries. If there's an intermediary, it's a problem. It's a problem going to a cemetery and praying to the dead. You're not allowed to. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. That is the big difference between Judaism and other religions. We have no go-betweens. It's you to God. Direct. Hotline. You have a direct hotline. Imagine. imagine. You have a hotline to the most important person in the world. And you can call anytime, 24-7. That's amazing. We have a hotline to God, the creator of the world. We're so lucky. We just have to use it. If we use it and know how to use it, Everything is answered. So can we whisper now, there's a big dis- debate between the Shulchan Aruch and the Arizal. I follow Arizal on this one. The Shulchan Aruch says, you yourself have to hear what you're praying for. You have to articulate to the point where you can hear yourself what you're asking for. Your lips should move, the whisper should come out, and you should hear, no one else should hear. So some people, they whisper very loudly. <laughs> Drive me crazy. <laughs> whisper very softly. So no one else can hear, because if they hear, they're going to get interrupted in their prayers. And if, so it's very important not to interrupt other people. So whisper very softly. The Arizal comes out and he says, your lips have to move, but nothing comes out. Where do we learn this from? The most important woman who created prayer. Who? And it's interesting because we read about her on Ron, Rosh Hashanah. The Haftarah of Rosh Hashanah is about this woman called Hannah. Who was Hannah? She was, uh, Shmuel Hanavi, Samuel the prophet's mother. <laughs> what was she praying for? For a baby. For a baby. God, classic. What does a woman pray for in those days? In those days, no fertility clinics. <laughs> There's nothing you can do but pray. The Gemara says God has the keys of three things in his hands. What are the three things? Number one, I just gave it away. Number one, having a baby. The key is in God's hands. Sometimes you go to all the doctors in the world, it doesn't help key is in God's hands. That's going to go straight to God. That's number one. Number two, rain. Mm-hmm. Is it going to rain? Especially in Israel. Forget about America. Forget about it. In Israel. <laughs> the key to rain is in God's hands. Number three, Techiat What? Revival of the dead. 
the key to revival of the dead is in God's hands. So Bez Rasha will be worthy to see. The cemetery is popping. Like popcorn. We'll see that. Bez Rasha. That'll be fun. That'll be real fun, right? See these guys coming out. Scary. Amazing. Scary? That's eh, fun. Rabbi? Yes. You said you're not supposed to, like when you go to a cemetery, you're not. So why do people say that the person should be a mainly tombstone? You're not praying to them. You're asking them for help. In other words, I, I don't, I don't approve of that either. A person should say the best prayer is, please God answer me in the merit of so and so who's here. That is the less. I'm going to pray cemetery. I'm going, going down to the cemetery. Because the custom is Israel goes, the Jews go to the cemeteries before Rosh Hashanah. So there's a couple of reasons why we go to the cemetery. Number one is to realize the futility of life. What? There's only one thing guaranteed in life. Actually, there's two things. Number one is death and taxes. <laughs> That's what the joke is. Two things are guaranteed in life. Death and taxation. But you know what? Death we forget about. Death today is you don't see it. People don't stay at home when they're sick. They don't stay at home. They go to hospitals. They die in hospital. You don't see people in those days. People die at home. So their children would see, I mean, I saw my grand, my aunt, unfortunately. But before she died, they took her to the hospice. Okay. So you don't really feel, you don't see it, but that's what life is all about. Life is a cycle. It's a life and death, life and death. Birth and? Death. We had a rabbi here before, he says, I only see people on three occasions. Hatch, match, and dispatch. <laughs> Hatch <laughs> is when they burn. Match is when I get them married. And dispatch is when I dispatch them. <laughs> His joke was, I'm the last person who will let you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a tough, tough situation being a rabbi. It's horrible sometimes, you know. The hatching and the matching are very nice, but the dispatching yeah. is very hard. <laughs> so there's a little kid, he said, I figured out why it's called Bible. You know why it's called Bible? B is basic. I is instructions. B is before. L is leaving, E is earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. These are the instructions before you leave. This is how to live your life before you leave. So we're here. We're here for a short period of time. And that's why we go to... One of the reasons we go to cemetery is to remember that life is futile. You cannot take anything with you. It's so sad. Because, you know, they realize... People don't realize that. Want to buy the nicest car? Want to buy the biggest house? The guy, I remember a guy, we had a guy here over here. He bought a brand new car and he was dead within two months. <laughs> he had cancer. Didn't know about it. Brand new car. He just retired. Terrible. We don't know. And that's what we, now before Rosh Hashanah, now's the time to realize that, God, I need you more than any time. This is the day of judgment. Judgment day, the rabbis say. Judgment day. It's coronation of God, Jay. It's judgment day. We need you more than ever. Please give us a good year. Please, Hashem. Give us another year of life. We pray for another year of life. And what do we say? Shana, Tova, Ometuka, a very nice, sweet year. If you have honey, you say like honey. If you have sugar, you say like sugar. <laughs> so we should all have a very happy, healthy year. But it's all in God's hands. That's why we need God so much. We don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea what the future is going to bring. We get curves from left field, all of us. Sometimes we get this, and then bang, and a person needs God. There's no other way. We need God. We need God in our lives. So we had a big debate. I didn't finish the debate yet. Number one is the Shulchan says you have to whisper. But only you can hear. The Rizal says you're not even allowed to hear yourself. 
which is move your lips like Hannah. That's what we learned from. That's what we got to Hannah. Hannah was praying for a baby. She goes to the temple in those days, the Mishkan in Shiloh, and she sees Eli, the high priest, Eli, and Eli thinks she's drunk. She's moving her lips. She's praying, moving her lips. He couldn't hear a thing. So he has over there a choshen. The choshen is the 12 stones, mm-hmm. the breastplate with 12 jewels. And you can ask God questions, and God answers you through the lights. He's like, God, he says, is this woman, what is she? So the lights shine, and it says, Shin kaf resh hey. Shikura. She is drunk. drunk. So the rabbi say he read it wrong. It really said, Keshera. She was kasher, she was kosher. Or some people say it's kesara, she was like Sarah. This woman was like Sarah, she was like Sarah. So he read it wrong. And he thought she was drunk. She says, I'm not drunk. I'm just grieving with my heart. I need something very bad. He says, what do you need? You need a son. He says, he blessed her. Next year, by this time, you're going to have a baby. And she did. He called Samuel the prophet, where one of the great leaders so she prayed with all the heart. We learned the laws of prayer from Hannah, this great woman. Just from this woman, can you imagine? This woman who's praying for a baby, we learned the laws of prayer. And on Rosh Hashanah, what do we talk about in our prayers? In the Torah reading, all about having babies. Amazing. Who had a baby at the age of 90? Sarah. Sarah. Who, who had a baby last, last, uh, last few weeks? It was a 70-year-old woman? Yeah, I read that. How old was she? Like my age. It's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. the Bible says it's the 90. Twins. We're getting closer. Twins. 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 Okay. Twin girls, and she had a mother that was in the 90s. First, she died in vitro. There's a famous story. There's a famous uh, joke. I gotta tell you this joke. From India. Guys, I gotta tell you this joke. Okay. The joke is that an uh, old man, he's, I think he's in the 90s, goes to the car insurance to get a car insurance. So he goes there, he says, I need car insurance. And the woman looking at him says, How old are you? 90. So you want car insurance? You're driving? You're still driving? He says, yeah. So I need to I need to get my car insurance because I gotta go to a wedding. He says, Who's wedding going to? He says, My my father. <laughs> said, How old is your father? He's 110? It's a joke. <laughs> so that's what we're getting to today. It's amazing. Today it's amazing. Anyway, there's Russia. Well today the you know the blessing in Judaism was you lived to 120. Right. So we're still we're working on it, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting closer and closer. So, Hannah is the key to prayer. We talk about mm-hmm. Hannah, and we talk about having babies. Amazing. The, the, what, do we, what do we pray? You know, everything we do is a baby. All our deeds are our children. People don't realize that. When you do some mitzvah, that's your child. And vice versa. Do not realize it's also your child. You're creating by doing things. People don't realize that. Rav Chaim Velozhin says, in the book we just finished, right? We just finished on Sunday evenings. We have a very nice Musar class. And if people don't know about it, but it's, uh, today is, I think it's at what time? 7 30. 7 30 tonight. We have a class. We're doing Shari Chuba, the Gates of Repentance of Rabbeinu Yona. Had uh, new members uh, last week. Ms. Rashem, we keep coming. And uh, it's a last, uh, we just finished a very important work by Rabbi Chaim Balozhin, who says, talks about our deeds create angels. Our deeds fix worlds that we can't even see. The power of our deeds. How do we know our deeds are our children? Because the Torah says, Ele toldot Noah. These are the children of Noah. And then it says, What does it say next? Noah ish tzaddik hayah. Noah was righteous. Hey, one second, where's his kids? <laughs> you just said these are the kids of Noah. 
Noach is righteous. What's, what's the kids got to do with righteous? So from there we learn that Rashi says his kids were his deeds. Very, very interesting point. That we are creating. What do we create? We create by doing things. We are little creators. That's why God says, you are creators, I'm a creator. You rest, I rest, you rest. We're creating. We're always creating. Every little thing we do, we're creating something. So we don't really realize that. We have to think about that all the time. <coughs> so we need to pray. So a person can pray. How do you pray? You move your lips. Why do we need to pray? To clarify what's in the head. Because our minds are a jumble. Non-stop. Yes. Does this apply when you're alone also? When you're alone, you can pray loud. But you don't have But you know what? It's interesting. If a person shouts when they pray, it's like you have little faith. You know why? Well, God, God can't hear you quietly. <laughs> <laughs> you need to cry. It's one of the jokes that Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet, made when he, when he prayed to God. He had a, he had a spiritual fight. What's a spiritual fight? He had a duel. You know, in those days they had duels. You know, you, you insult me, I challenge you to a duel. Whoever kills each other first wins the duel, right? That was, it was like legal in those days, crazy. Imagine. So he had a spiritual duels with the prophets of Baal. Right. A lot of Jews were worshipping idols. Baal Zevuv, the god of the flies. The Lord of the Flies. That's where the book came from, but it's not a different book. But it's the, 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 the title came from there, The God of the Flies. I thought of that when I saw Can you imagine, that? if you go to a museum in Israel, it's called the Israel Museum, they have a room there mm -hmm. full of idols that they unearth archaeologically. Okay. And you have a little right. gold fly that people used to wear around their necks and worship it. Imagine they would worship the fly. Mm -hmm. Crazy, crazy. Crazy. It was not a Jewish religion. So it's, uh, they brought it from Lebanon or somewhere because the wife of the king, Jezebel, she was from Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And she brought her religion into Israel. And she brought 400 so-called prophets of Baal. And here's Elijah, the only prophet of God left in Israel. It's hard to imagine. And he challenged them to a duel. Who can bring fire from heaven? Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. You bring offerings. So he says, you guys go first. 400 prophets. And they're praying to God, Baal Zavuv. And he says, maybe God can't hear you. Shout louder. Maybe scream. Your God is deaf. And obviously, they couldn't bring any fire from heaven. And his turn comes, and he brought it. So it's a joke. If you scream to God, it's like you're implying God can't hear you. Rabbi, mm -hmm. did you ever go to Ramad Beit Shemesh on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Never. Oh, okay. So tell us about it. Tell us. So they, uh, they scream, no? They scream. Oh. oh. But you know why they're screaming? Because when you're really in trouble, you scream. But you're allowed to scream when you're alone. Interesting. Why? Sure. To arouse your own concentration. That's the only reason you're allowed to scream. God can hear you without screaming. But if I need to talk loudly because of me, not because of God, God can hear me even though I don't scream. If you're alone, if you're in the shul, you can't interrupt other people. You can't disturb other people. You have to pray very quietly. But when you're with, uh, in your home, you can pray as loud as you want. For your own purposes, not for God. God can hear you. But you can also whisper if you're It depends on, on what you need to concentrate. Mm -hmm. Whatever aids your concentration. So... You guys are lucky. You can do whatever you want because you're home. You pray at home. You can do whatever you want. So that's the first question we dealt with today. And I'm going to leave you with that, that idea that it's important to pray moving your lips and to know what you're praying for. Make a list before Rosh Hashanah. Have a great week. Have a great year.